Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it is a little heavy on this side, isn't it? <laughs> So, yes, we know, last week was Halloween, but you get a little extra treat. You get me. <laughs> the sweet tart. We're giving our pastor, the Jolly Rancher, a uh, break today. <laughs> so hopefully, you'll receive a little bit of honey in this message, and not a milk dud. <laughs> now that I've got your attention, with this time in our history, I'm reminded of our mission statement. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. See, our greatest goal as a church must be to grow. That means spiritual growth in the life of believers. And it means reaching more people for the kingdom of Christ. How can we move ahead for our master? God's word gives us six great answers in these verses that we're going to read, and maybe one thing not to do. We'll be reading from Acts 20, verses 1 through 12. And yes, we're still in Acts, Mom. <clears throat> As we turn there, let's, let's pray. Father, Lord, again, we just thank you for this time together, and we thank you for allowing us to live in this specific country. Uh, we think of the freedoms that we have, the th- freedoms that we take for granted, and Lord, we take for granted each other sometimes, Lord. And we just pray that you work through all of this mess, that we can see your glory in it. And Lord, we ask that uh, you speak through me and your Holy Spirit guides me in these words that your message gets out. And we thank you always in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Verse 1 says, After the uproar ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. First, we must embrace each other. Paul teaches us to embrace each other. In verse 1, remember that in Acts 19, there was a near riot in Ephesus. Then in verse 1 says that after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to him, embraced them. Then he departed took off to Macedonia. Paul embraced them. He wrapped his arms around them in genuine Christ-like manner. We must learn to embrace each other. But of course, I'm not talking about physical hugs, especially right now. I'm talking about getting close to one another, for caring for each other, praying for each other, being there for each other. I'm talking about the kind of genuine godly love and concern we see in our concern for our friends. I think about the Irwins, our friends, the Irwins. When we had learned that uh, Kevin had a stroke, Wanda and her son Robert definitely needed our prayers. And they still do. And I think about Wanda and how sweet she was when she would 
you know, send out her personal cards to those who had missed church or had a birthday. It's now our turn to send her and Robert and Kevin some love in that respect. But that's all she showed, her love and concern for us by sending out those cards. Trust me, they help more than you actually know. Kevin himself impacted our family. Like when he had uh, taken our kids out on the boat and went fishing. When he went to the hospital for his stroke, my daughter said, he's the one that took us out fishing. She showed her genuine concern. In instances like that, we all have the opportunity to witness and to discuss our Lord and Savior with our friends, especially those that don't know him. Think of the times we have with our friends. We don't want to squander them. We all, and including myself, need to be witnessing to our friends because you never, you, know, you may be the only one who is witnessing to them at that time. Again, pray for each other. Not just today, but many days to come because you never know what they're going to be going through. Embrace the opportunities. Embrace the time. Embrace your friends. And yes, if they're close enough, you can give them a hug. But especially when trouble comes. I was definitely moved by the outpouring of my friends when my mom had passed. That's how you and I can embrace each other, by showing that same genuine concern for one another. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. You see, friends are to love at all times. Be prepared when adversity hits, and not only when it's convenient or when they want to. So how can we move ahead for our master? Embrace each other and encourage each other. <laughs> See, Paul went out of his way to be an encourager. Verse 2 tells us that after traveling through that area and speaking many words of encouragement, he arrived in Greece. Paul was an encourager, and we should be too. It's one of the godliest things we can do. And one reason we know is because the original word for encouragement Encourage here is basically the same word that Jesus used in John 14 when he called, his, called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. God wants us to be like him. God wants us to be an encourager. An encourager to all. Because we all need encouragement, right? One of the greatest pastors and Christian authors of our day and, my, and a favorite of my mother-in-law is Chuck Swindoll. And one of Dr. Swindoll's teachers and mentors at seminary was Howard Hendricks. Dr. Hendricks remembers Chuck as a real go-getter in school. And, and Howard said, I felt this guy was a winner from the moment I met him. He, was all, he always sat in the front row. His questions were extraordinarily extraordinary? okay. <laughs> perceptive. And even after the class... The questions didn't stop. 
it was abundantly clear that this man had a bright future ahead of him. However, Chuck says that he struggled with self-doubt for many years, and at times even thought of quitting the seminary or missionary. Uh, can you imagine that? One factor that helped Chuck to hang in there was his relationship with Dr. Hendricks. As Chuck said, Hendricks, believe, Hendricks believed me when I didn't believe in myself. Where would Chuck Swindoll have wound up without the encouragement of, of Harold Hendricks? Howard, Harold, I'm sorry. Where would we, we be if someone didn't encourage us? Sometimes we need it more than we think. God wants us to encourage each other and employ new strategies. We need to employ new strategies. Number three. <laughs> in verse three, Paul had to change his plans and move in a new direction. He arrived in Greece where he stayed three months. And when the Jews formed a plot against him as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. John Phillips explains that each year a pilgrim ship left the port of Centuria for Palestine. It was to take the Jews, home, uh, Jewish people, home for the annual festi festivals. Paul, it would seem, had planned to sail on one of those pilgrim ships. Word of that leaked out, and the Jews decided amongst themselves that this would give them the golden opportunity to get rid of him. Paul, however, uncovered the plot, changed his plans, and headed back to north to, north to Macedonia. See, Paul had to go in a new direction. And we have to be willing to do the same thing as the Lord leads us. But, of course, most of the time, our lives are not hanging in the balance. But something even more important can hang in the balance. The souls of the people God wants to, us to reach for Jesus. I know that change is difficult. We are creatures of habit. I do the exact same thing when I get up every morning for work. I don't wake up and ask, how should I get ready for work? We are creatures of habit. And even good changes can be a struggle. My oldest son, William, absolutely hates even the slightest change to his normal. I guess we all do at some point. This is a story about a man named Ralph. While he was waiting to go back to, for his surgery, they started talking about anesthesia. There was an option for him. Do you want to be drowsy during the surgery or knocked all the way out? Ralph said, knocked all the way out, of course. And everybody agreed, but what about surgery with no anesthesia at all? There was a time patients were strapped down with scalpel and saw cutting through tissue and bone. Every single slice and turn of the knife causing unimaginable pain. Only a couple swigs of whiskey to numb you up a bit. One Christian doctor decided to do something about it. A doctor in Scotland named James Simpson. He lived from 1811 to 1870. Dr. Simpson became 
senior president of the Royal Medical Society in Edinburgh, when only he was 24 years old. And in the time of putting, in the time of receiving virtually every possible honor and position, he dreamed of finding a way of putting patients to sleep during surgery. So on Monday evenings, Dr. Simpson periodically invited small groups of physicians to his home to experiment with chemicals, crystals, and powders, which were placed over a burning fire while the doctors inhaled the fumes. Nothing worked <laughs> until November 4th, 1847. One of the men had purchased a crystal called chloroform. He got it in Paris, of all places. As the doctor sniffed the burning substance, they fell to the floor unconscious. Dr. Simpson had his answer, but he soon encountered another problem. He was attacked by fellow Christians who claimed that pain was, that pain, that pain was God-ordained part of life. That they taught that freedom from pain only comes from heaven. And it was immoral to devise dangerous ways of escaping it on earth. Sir James went to the scriptures seeking answers, as we all should. As soon as he opened his Bible, he came to Genesis 2 and 21, where the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took, well, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. God used the scripture to give Dr. Simpson the power to silence his critics. And a new day of medicine was born. Amen. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Even in times like this, we need to discover different ways to continue serving the Lord. We have had to adapt, find ways to continue to serve, to maintain some kind of normal, right? <laughs> you see, we are his servants. We are to adapt to the changing environment from the time of Jesus to now and beyond this is God's plan, and it may not be ours. Just ask Jonah. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going this way, Jonah says. God said, oh, really? We'll see about that. Even after his depart detour, Jonah found himself serving God. Maybe not the way he thought, but nonetheless. How can we move ahead for our master? God wants us to employ new strategies, of course, and enlist new helpers. We need to enlist new helpers. <laughs> we see Paul's fellow workers in verses 4 through 6 here. Paul was accompanied by Sopater, son of Ferris, from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus from Thessalonica. Thessalonica. I see, I knew I was going to mess that up. Gaius from Derby. Timothy and Tychus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas. And after the feast of unleavened bread, we sailed from Philippi. And five days later, we rejoined them in Troas, where we stayed seven days. One important thing to notice here is that Paul worked with a variety of people. So Peter... Aristarchus and Secundus were from Macedonian churches. Gaius and Timothy were Galatians. Tychus 
Tychicus and Trophimus represented the churches of Asia. Revelation 5.9 says, We see that God's church is made up of the redeemed work, redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. So God wants us to work together with all kinds of people to the greatest extent possible. I'm sure that all the missionaries out there in the world are from different places. They didn't turn them out in some factory somewhere. Paul also reminds us that we must be careful in the ways that we handle money that has been given to the church. This group was carrying a large sum of money for the needy believers in Jerusalem. They show us to be transparent and beyond suspicion when it comes to money. 2 Corinthians 8, 20 through 21, we hope to avoid any criticism at the, uh, of the way we administer this generous gift. For we are taking great care to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. And they were talking about the money they had. But the main thing I want you to see from these verses is this. We will never do all that God wants us to do without help from more believers. New believer growth, growing strong enough in the Lord to serve the Lord in a fruitful way. We must pray for God to send them. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We must pray for more workers. We must train them when we get them. As Jesus commanded us in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20, All authority has been given to me in the heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He said, make disciples of all the nations. Not some of them. Teach them to observe all things. Not some of them. That I have commanded you. God wants us to enlist new helpers and examine God's word. So we need to examine God's word. Verse 7, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Since Paul was ready to leave the next day, he talked to them and kept on speaking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we gathered. This is the way to grow in discipleship for God and the disciples God wants us to be. Paul always placed a strong emphasis on God's word, and we see him doing the same thing in verse 7 and 8. We'll jump to verse 11 real quick. tells us that they wound up talking about God's word all night long. They talked about Jesus. They talked about the cross. They talked about how God wants us to live in this world and how we will live forever in the next world. God wants us to examine his word regularly devotedly, humbly, knowing that 
it will give us the most important guidance we will ever need in life. One Christian compared it to scuba diving. He said, I'm not a scuba diver, but scuba has always fascinated me. When you take up scuba, one of the things that they will teach you is that your bubbles are always right. <laughs> See, when you're deep underwater, I should have had a picture for this. It was really cool. You're surrounded by an aura of light, and it's very difficult to tell which way is up. The water diffuses the light, and since you have a sense of weightlessness in the water, it's easy to get disoriented and lose your sense of direction. You don't know which way is up. You may feel strongly that your perception is correct, of up is correct, that you'll ignore your air bubbles and go the way that you think is up. And so the scuba divers are always taught to always trust and follow his bubbles. No matter what you think or feel, your bubbles are always correct. They always go up. So always follow your bubbles. Always. Can't say it enough. If a diver takes it upon himself to ignore his bubbles because he knows which way to go, it can lead to his death. Many people in the world today are disoriented. They have lost their way because they have ignored the bubbles. They have ignored the only thing in life that is trustworthy and true. God's word, the Bible, and what it teaches. Like the diver's bubbles, the Bible is always right. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how or what you think. The Bible is always right. Follow the Bible. Psalm 33, 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of goodness of the Lord. How can we move ahead for our master? Examine God's word and expect great things from God. We need to expect great things from God. A certain young man in verse 9 says, his name is Eutychus, Eutychus, something like that, Sealed, seated in the window, was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and threw himself on the young man. Again, he embraced him, his friend, when he needed it. Do not be alarmed, Paul said. He is alive. He's still alive. Then Paul went back upstairs, broke bread, and ate. After speaking until daybreak, he departed. And the people were greatly relieved to take the boy home alive. Have you ever fell asleep during church? <laughs> Not that it's dangerous, because that most, of all, most of all that can happen is you fall out of your chair. <laughs> and everybody around you snickers and says something snarky under their breath. Yes, you might hit your head, but the pain is not as harmful as the hit to your pride. See, when we're up here, we hope you don't fall asleep. 
during our messages. We know you're tired, and sometimes the atmosphere is similar to that of Eutychus. It's warm and comfortable, but you may be a little unlucky and miss something God wants you to hear. On Thanksgiving week, about 16 years ago, Jimmy and Mildred Griffith, their little rat terrier, had a litter of nine puppies. Unfortunately, only one of those puppies survived. So they decided to name him Lucky. The Griffins had promised to give one of the puppies to a friend, a married couple from their church, and they did, even though they only had one left. But the friends, Todd and Mary, had an argument over that dog because Todd didn't want to name him Lucky. Todd told his wife, Mary, that there was no such thing as luck, and he was not having a dog named Lucky. The following Wednesday night, the couple went to prayer meeting. The pastor was preaching on this very same passage. During the message, he told them that Euthychus named name meant fortunate or lucky. It's true, I looked it up. <laughs> Mary started elbowing him. And as soon as the service was over, she told him that since Lucky was in the Bible, they could name their dog Lucky. They had Lucky for over 15 years. But this Lucky in Acts 20 was a whole lot more than Lucky. He fell out of a third-story window. Think about that. That's around 32 feet. Eutychus was there that evening to hear Paul to absorb his words, to be taught, to listen. To listen to what God wanted him to hear, to be a good servant, to be shown how to embrace his friends, to see if he can learn new ways to spread the gospel. He was amongst his brothers and sisters in Christ, his fellow workers, wanting to see what God, what see, wanting to see God do great things for him. This is what this is the warning I wanted to you for you to take. Don't fall asleep. I know a few people like that. First Thessalonians five six. So then let us not sleep as the others do, but Let us remain awake and sober. Why? Because we are the children of the light. Because we have been enlightened and purified. We need to be watchful and sober so that we may not be unprepared for the day of the Lord. Privileges will gain us nothing unless we use them to and walk up, them, walk up to them and share them with those who definitely need them. God truly wants our church to move ahead. He wants to do great things in us and through us. Let's trust him to do it. See, God continues to do great things. We're waiting patiently as his children to see him do great things.
He has. He will continue to. We have worried sometimes in this unusual 2020. We have been depressed. Like I said, worried, confused, angry, sorrowful, melancholy, and doubtful. We have been devastated and stubborn, tired and weary. We can be assured, and I can assure you, God has not felt any of those things. He has us in his hands. He loved us, and he still does. Why do we know this? He sent his own son to die for us. He wants our trust. He is capable of great things. Let's expect great things from God. It's funny, when you look at all these words in these little scriptures from 1 to 12, you think, what kind of message can I take from that? Many things. See, like it said, God's word is always true. God's word is always fruitful. When he says jump, there's a reason for it. When he says love, he means it. When he says trust me, he's earned it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for, again, just this opportunity to bring the word to ourselves when we need it. We need to hear what you have to say. Whichever venue and whichever way that we hear it, Lord, whether it come out of our pastor, whether it comes out of Jim, whether it comes out of myself, when it comes out of any of you, Lord, that are out there, Lord, we just thank you for bringing us the opportunities each and every day, each and every moment in order to serve you best. That is to gain understanding for those who don't know who you are, Lord. And we praise you and what is about to come. We know that our plan isn't necessarily your, your plan, Lord, but we know that your plan is better than ours, always has been and always will be. And until the end of days, Lord, we know that you have our best interest at heart. Lord, we just ask that you continue to love us, guide us, enrich us, and do all that you want for us that we know it get in the way. And Lord, we thank you for everything in love and peace. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.